or your devices and turn to Exodus chapter 35. Exodus chapter 35, for those of you that have been with us, we've been going through um, our mission, vision, and values for the month of January, where we took one aspect of who we are as a church, and we dealt with each and every one of them. The first week, we dealt with the fact that we are a church committed to worship. Second, we dealt with the fact that we as a church um, are a group of people that have been transformed by the power of the gospel. And then last week, we looked at the fact that we are people committed to fellowship. And last, which is today, we're going to look at the fact that we're we're people committed to serving one another. And notice how they build off of one another. If we have been called by God to worship him and we respond in worship, that evidence the fact that we have a transformed heart. And by the way, God will transform our heart, right? And not only that, as we begin to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we then are enabled to have true koinonia, fellowship with one another, where we have all things in common. And then from that, we begin to serve the Lord as one body and one group. So hopefully you've seen that progression as we uh, go forward. So here today, we're going to be looking at the book of Exodus, um, chapter 35, to talk about service. I know it's not one of the classic texts on that, but actually, it's one of my favorite texts um, to go through and look at service. And I hope to convince you uh, to do the same in the future as we're done today. We're going to go back to this text and get a sense of what God requires for us as we come before him to worship him um, in service. So hear now the word of God, Exodus chapter 35, beginning at verse number 20. We're going to read down to verse number 7. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple scarlet yarn or fine linen of goats or goat's hair or tanned ram skin or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed a kaya wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hand. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skills spun the goats here. And the leaders brought unked stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, 
of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman to skilled designer. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command. The word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Well, all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word, what your word does to us even in the reading of it. But more importantly, what your word does when it is infused with the power of your spirit to teach us and guide us. Lord, we are here today to be taught by you. And so, Holy Spirit, come and work as only you can do. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. Well, this passage um, is an amazing illustration of what happens when the people of God are moved to serve the Lord. And what's interesting in this passage is you will notice that everyone in Israel at that time was serving the Lord. Look with me at Exodus 35 and verse 20. It says, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him. That's not hyperbole. It's all of them came and served the Lord. Now, here's what's remarkable about that. If you read through the Old Testament, both Old and New Testament, but particularly in the Old Testament, one of the things that you'll see is that Israel consistently did not serve the Lord. Israel consistently did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So when you come to passages like this, and by the way, they are few and far between. When you come to passages like this and you see an outpouring of love and service to God, you have to pause and say, what is behind this? What is behind this? In fact, the only other time in the history of uh, the church, and if you look through the Old Testament, 
other than a war scenario, but even then, not all the people are committed to fighting the war. The only other time that even mimics this is the text that we looked at last week, which is Acts 2, where you see all the people of God working together and loving and serving one another. But beyond that, this is incredibly weird. Um, weird. And so the question for all of us is, what did Yahweh do here to bring about such an outpouring of fellowship and service? What is Yahweh doing here? You see, all of us know the statistic, right? Everyone's heard the statistic. And the, 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 the statistic is this, that 20% of all the people in the church do how much? 80% of the work. And so for someone like me, who's the pastor of a church, or maybe someone who's a part of a nonprofit, or somebody who works in, in a thing where they require volunteers, when they come across a passage like this, they stop and they analyze everything about this text. Why? Because this is 100% participation. This is 100% of the people doing 100% of the work. Not 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. And so that's what I want to do this morning. Very, very quickly, I want to look at what did God do in their midst to bring about this radical participation in his work? How did God act in the people of God's hearts and minds to bring about such a wholehearted obedience in serving the Lord? And by the way, let me stop and say this. Not all of us are called to serve with the same intensity in the same way. That's not what I'm arguing today. What I'm saying today is that the people here, although they had different responsibilities and the intensity of that responsibility was different, all of them found a way to work. All of them found a way to participate. That's what I want to isolate today, and that's what I want to find out. How did Yahweh do this? How did God do this within their midst? I want to point out three things very quick, and it's this. I want us to look at how God moves them to work, so how God moves us to serve him, how God equips us to serve him, and very quickly, how God provides in the service. How God moves us, how God equips us, and how God provides for our service. First of all, how does God move us to serve him? Look at, verse, look at chapter 35, verse 20, down to verse 29. And I want you to notice two words. First of all, the word heart. And next, the word brought. And look at how close they are together. First of all, in verse number 21, it says, Everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the contribution, uh, brought the contribution in, into the tent of meeting. And then verse 22, uh, they, they had willing hearts that brought the brooches. And then in verse 23, they brought goatskin. And then in 24, they brought... Um, to the Lord's contribution. And then again at the end, they brought the, the things to be worked on. And then all the skinful, in verse 25, all the skillful women spun the hands, and they brought all of this material. And then in 26, all the women whose hearts stirred them, what did they do? They, they brought this, and, and they worked on it. And then in verse 27, the leaders brought onstone. And then in verse number 20, 29, their hearts was mo were moved, and they brought. Now, here is how you do a Bible study. You know, I always tell you, hey, look at this. This is really good for a Bible study. Here's how to do a Bible study. If you're reading a text, and you see over and over again two words being used together, heart and broad, heart and broad, the logical conclusion you should make is that's on purpose. 
There's a reason for that. Why is it that over and over again, we see this connection between heart and broad, heart and broad? Well, the text actually tells us, but I'll just tell it to you, and then I'll explain it a little deeper. Here's what the Bible is telling us. A heart that's truly been transformed by the power of God is a heart that's always moved to serve the Lord. A heart that's truly been transformed by the Holy Spirit is a heart that is moved to serve the Lord. That's the testimony of Scripture. Now, there are many verses that we can go to to show this, but I only want to show you one, and it's a very powerful one. It's found in Ezekiel eleven nineteen. God says this to the people of Israel. I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. Now, I want us to pause for a moment and look at that. God said that he will take out the heart of stone out of Israel and give them a heart of flesh. Now, why is that the case? Why is that so important to understanding what it means to serve God? Here is it. Think about for a moment what a stone represents, right? A stone is typically representative of something that's unresponsive. How many of you have been in a, uh, had to give a speech or talk to a group of people, right? And as you're talking to them, you're giving them your best stuff, your best materials, your best jokes. I mean, you're pulling out all the stops, and everyone is stone cold, right? It happens sometimes as a pastor. You know, you're like, you're up here, you're pouring out your heart, you're like, man, I can feel the Holy Spirit moving through me, and then just, right? Stone cold faces. Well, what do we mean by a stone cold face? A stone cold face is someone who's unresponsive. Now I know, I know, that's not always a general rule. All of us process differently, right? I had a friend, man, he had a stone cold face whenever you were talking to him, but that's how he processed, and that worked for him. But typically, if somebody has a stone cold face, that means they're unresponsive. Now what about flesh? See, in that analogy, a flesh is that which is responsive. If I stuck out your arm and rubbed a flame over it, would you respond? Absolutely. Absolutely. Or if I took a block of ice and ran it down the back, uh, ran it down your back, would you respond? Absolutely you would. Because that's what flesh does. It responds. So hear me. Here is what is happening in this text and what God is saying to us. If you are a Christian, you've been given the heart of flesh so you could respond to the needs of God, so that you could be responsive to the call of God to serve. That's what, that's what being, it's being described in this text. Israel has a heart of flesh now. If you go back to chapter 32, you'll notice they were serving other gods. Then God punishes them, and they renewed the covenant. And now we see the fruit of this renewed covenant. Israel is now serving with a heart of flesh, responsive to what God has called them to do. Notice, they're not being coerced. They're not being guilted. They're not being forced. They're not being bribed. Israel, because they have a heart of flesh, they're responsive to God and what God has called them to do. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a heart of flesh or a heart of stone? Are you responsive to the needs that are around you? And look, this isn't just for the life of the church. But this is, this is practically applied everywhere. It's actually practically applied in your home. 
Are you responsive to the needs of those around you? Do you have a heart of flesh toward your spouse and your children? What about on your job? Do you have a heart of flesh or a heart of stone towards your coworkers? What about, what about college students when you're on campus or in your class? Do you have a heart of flesh or a heart of stone towards those you are in community with? You see, at the, at the root that Moses is trying to say is that when you and I have a transformed heart, God gives us a heart of flesh that makes us responsive to the needs of all of those around us. Nobody has to coerce us or guilt us. It's a natural outflow of what happens when we, when our hearts have been transformed by uh, Jesus Christ. And let me say this. One of the things that Jesus Christ is universally admired for, I mean, even when you read secular magazines, or when you, when you hear from secular people, one of the things he's universally admired for is his heart of compassion. Everyone, whether they're believer or unbeliever, says the same thing. Jesus is so compassionate. Why do you think Jesus has a heart of compassion? Why, when you read in Scripture, he has compassion on all sorts of people, withered hands, people who were starving. Every time he came in contact with someone, the Bible takes pains to mention that he has a heart of compassion. What do you think causes that heart of compassion? What, what do you think made him transcend the racial biases that you saw um, Jews had towards Samaritans? What do you think him help, help overcome some of the more cultural distinctions that we see uh, him overcoming within the Bible, especially towards women? What, why do you think that's the case? Because Jesus Christ had a heart of flesh, and he was responsive to the needs of others, regardless of who they were. One of the most powerful statements that Jesus makes uh, in the Bible, and it's something that I run my mind over quite a bit, it was a stated mission. Jesus said this, I did not come to be served, but to what? But to serve. And to give my life a ransom for many. Now, the first part of that we understand. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And he did. Jesus fed people. Jesus healed people. Jesus brought back people from the dead. He served people. But it's the second one that we miss. But to serve. And how did he say he came to serve? Principally, by giving his life a ransom for many. That's talking about the nature of the atonement. The fact that Jesus Christ gave himself on behalf of you. That's how uh, on your be- uh, he gave himself on you, uh, uh, for you. That's what we talk about when we talk about the atonement. When we talk about the nature of justification. You are declared righteous because Jesus Christ gave himself for you. When we talk about the nature of election. The fact that you've been predestined and elected before the foundation of the world. That's a direct result of Jesus Christ giving himself on behalf of you and serving you. When we talk about these things like election and justification and atonement, we talk about them in such cold and sterile terms. We do. But do you realize that embedded in each and every one of those terms is the heart of a Savior? A heart of a Savior that's a heart of flesh that gave himself for you. And here's the beauty of the gospel is that prior to your justification prior to you becoming a child of God you had a heart of stone 
And it's because Jesus Christ had a heart of flesh. He reached down and saved you. And he gave, took your heart of stone and instead gave you a heart of flesh. And now it's because of what he has done in you, you and I are able to perform any sort of righteousness. And again, we see this in the children of Israel. Only three chapters ago, in, Je- in Exodus chapter 32, we see the children of Israel con- uh, serving um, foreign gods, gods of their own hands. But now in this text, we see God gave them a new heart, a heart of flesh that completely revolutionized their service to God. CBBC, do we have hearts of flesh or hearts of stone? Are we responding to the needs of others? That's the call of the gospel. That's the call of the gospel. Quickly, how does God equip us? Right? So we see how he moves us. He takes out our hearts of stone gives us a heart of flesh, makes us responsive to those around us and the things of him. But how does he equip us to do it? Um, There's many ways I could show this to you, but look at Exodus chapter 35 and verse number 30. We see here that the Lord has called by name Beziel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, and of the tribe of Judah. And in verse number 31 it says, and he has filled him with the spirit of God. Over and over in this text, you will notice that God's spirit moves. It gives them intelligence. God's spirit moves in order to give them the ability to teach. Because you have some people who are tremendously gifted, but they can't teach anyone to do what they do. And so they, they, they got the, the Holy Spirit came in and gave them the ability to do all of these things. So how does God equip us? God equips us by giving us his spirit. And his spirit is the thing that energizes us. Now, look, let me pause here and say this. This is a tremendously practical reality for this one reason. I've been, I've been a pastor for about 10 years, and before that I worked in church, uh, in churches and in ministry for 10 years, and one of the biggest barriers to people serving the Lord is they always tell me, Pastor, I don't feel equipped to serve the Lord. Have you heard that before? So many people say that. Maybe there's some of you inside you today you're, you're thinking to yourself, I would love to serve the Lord, but I am not equipped to serve the Lord. And one of the things that this passage teaches us is that we do not equip ourselves. Who equips us? God. God equips us through the power of his Holy Spirit. This is the logic of grace. The logic of grace says this, that God reaches down and saves you. Then he gives you the power of his Spirit. And because he gives you the power of his spirit, he then energizes you to do his work. You don't have to worry about being equipped. God is the one who actually equips you. Let me ask you a question. Name me one group of people who were least equipped than the children of Israel after they were saved from the, in the Exodus. They didn't know how to do anything. They didn't know how to lead themselves. They didn't know how to fight in war. They didn't know how to build anything. They were slaves for the last four centuries. What did they know how to do? And yet, what do we see constantly? God saying, don't worry about it. I will give you my spirit, and it is by my spirit I will teach you how to govern yourself. It's by my spirit I'll teach you to fight wars. It is by my spirit I'll teach you how to build a tabernacle and build a society. It's by my spirit. Not by what you are capable to do, but what he is capable to do. 
um, there's an illustration that I heard way back in college that I hope would be helpful. It was tremendously helpful for me. And it actually has to do with a piano, right? So thankfully, we have a piano right over here. And, and here's what the speaker said. He said, look, look at this piano. This piano has potential to make beautiful music. And that's true, right? But the piano on its own will not make beautiful music, okay? Now, if you take someone like me and put me behind the piano, the piano will make music. But guess what? It will not make beautiful music. We want beautiful music out of the piano. We want the piano to come alive when someone plays it. If, if you put it in my hands, nothing beautiful will come out of this piano. Nothing beautiful will come out of this guitar. Nothing beautiful will come out of any instrument. Nothing beautiful really comes through my voice. You're getting a pattern about Pastor Dennis here. He is not musical. But here's the point I want to make. You put this piano in Anne Mar's hands, or in Scott Finch's hands, or you put this piano in one of our musicians' hands, and what happens to it? I'll tell you what happens to it. It comes alive. It plays beautiful music. Now, there are two things I want to tell you real quick. Number one, that the piano doesn't give the musician skill. The musician gives the piano life. I don't know how to play the piano, but if I, st if I stood behind this piano, the piano wouldn't magically help me to play or confer anything to me to play. What's the point behind that? We don't add anything to God when we come before the Lord to be equipped. No skill that we have makes God's work that much better. In the same way that this piano doesn't help me play any better, we don't help God's task any better. In fact, God loves it when you have no skill at all. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, those are the kind of people I know will never glory in my presence. I want the people who are acutely aware of the fact that they are unequipped so my glory could shine even more through them. But there's something else I want you to see, and it's this. The piano only comes alive when something greater and more powerful is at work. You see, anyone with skill that's sitting behind that piano is able to make that piano come alive uh, and, and be consistent with how it's designed because the person behind the, the, behind the, uh, the piano is creative. It's, a, it's of a higher order, a greater order. Beloved, hear me today. When you come before the Lord, the Lord not only equips you, but he does amazing things through you when you make yourself available to him. That's the power behind being equipped by the Lord. Something else I want to show you is when, when God's people have the power of God working through them and they're equipped to do the work of God, notice how every, everything changes. If you look at this text, one of the things that the text talks about is both women and men assisting in the temple construction. There's a unification within this that everyone's serving. Not only that, if you look at Israel's life, one of the things that characterizes Israel's life is that they're always grumbling and complaining. Do you see that in this text? No. 
the attitude here is of people serving the Lord together. There's no grumbling and complaining. Nobody's saying, well, you know, I wish I had that skill, and this person has that skill. Nobody's angling for position. In this text, everybody understands what they're called to do, and they do it, and it's beautiful. This is what happens when the people of God are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Their lives are completely changed as a result, and they work together in harmony. Doesn't matter if it's male, female, black, white, doesn't matter. Educated, uneducated, when all of us are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and we are tasked to do the work of the Lord, we do it together. That's the power behind this text. Now, real quick, I want to show you one more thing, how God provides. For the sake of time, just look at verse number 7. In verse number 7, well, let's look at verse number 6 and then I'll bleed into verse number 7. So Moses gave command, and so this, this, this is point number three, how God provides, um, Exodus 36 and verse number six. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Now, most everyone says, this is a problem every pastor would love to have. Hey, you know what? Do not tithe anymore this month. We have more than enough resources to pay our bills, right? That's, what, that's, that's the kind of the joke everybody tells. But actually, I think it misses the point. The point isn't so much that the people gave more than they were supposed to. The point of this text is look how God provided to the point where the people had resources to give. Remember, we often miss in this text, they were slaves. They didn't have anything. How did they get this stuff? How did they get all this goat skin and, and, and gold and silver and all of these precious metals? How did they get all of these things? They got it because God provided. When they were leaving Egypt, God says, plunder the Egyptians, and that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they get. They provide it in abundance. And you know, the whole point of this text, another key element of this text is this. You'll have to go back to Exodus, read the beginning of Exodus to really get this. But, but you've got to trust me on this one. At the beginning of Exodus, when Moses came and says, let my people go, what did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh said, no way, no how. And if your people have all this time to worship you, I'm going to take away their straw and they're going to make brick without straw. That made their work that much harder. Right? But notice how Yahweh is in contrast to Pharaoh in this text. Instead of taking away the straw that they needed to do their work, what do you see happening in this text? Yahweh provided abundantly for them to do their work. Th again, this is tremendously practical. In a crowd like this, I know that there are some people struggling, even within their homes, struggling to provide. I'm aware of that. I just know that by the numbers, right? I want to tell you today, God doesn't ask you to make brick without straw in your home. God abides for you, ab uh, provides for you abundantly. If you're a college student and you're wondering, man, I, I got to pay these bills, I got to buy this book, I got to do this, I got to do that. I, I'm here to tell you that God will never ask you to make brick without straw. He'll provide abundantly. Even in our church, we've, uh, this year, 
We're praying that God provides um, resources to bring on additional staff. We're praying that God provides laborers for all the work that we have to do. And as elders, we're wondering, how is God going to do this? And I had to remind myself, wait a minute. God is never going to allow us to make bricks without straw. And hear me today, Christian. If he has called you to something, he will provide for you. He will never ask you to make bricks without straw. That's not what God, what Yahweh does. He provides abundantly, so much so that you always have more than you need to accomplish his work. That's the beauty of serving God. We know that he gives us the heart to serve. Then he equips us to serve. Then he gives us all that we need to serve. So what's the big takeaway? Serve the Lord. You've been given a heart of flesh. If you don't have a heart of flesh, you need to pray and ask the Lord for a heart of flesh. But if you have a heart of flesh, you're given everything that you need to serve the Lord, and you've been given everything that you need to be a blessing to others. Father, we thank you so much that as we look at the task of serving you and coming before you, we are reminded of how you work, and it is truly glorious. We see in this text and we see how you move within our hearts and minds to take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. We see also how you move to equip your people for every good work within the life of your church. And Lord, we also see how you provide abundantly. Lord, thank you for the fact that you never ask your people to make bricks without straw. You always provide abundantly. We thank you and praise you for that. As we leave today, help us to be reminded of that and help us today to live in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen.